0: Hey, folks, this is Mason Gravely, the host of Adventure Sports Podcast. Today we're talking to Jonathan Morsicato about crossing Iceland on foot. Yes, that's 170 miles in five and a half days with about 20,000 feet in vertical elevation gain. And so amazing adventure, lots of planning, trip of a lifetime for a lot of folks. I mean, he, he we've had folks talk about Biking across Iceland and different kinds of trips or trying to get the FKT. And this was a unique one. Also cool because this feels like one of those trips that could be a great applicant for the Adventure Grant. This is the last time I'm plugging it. The Adventure Grant closes this Wednesday, the 22nd. Uh, So if you know anybody, whether it's you or a friend or family, wants to do an adventure this year, whether you want to cross Iceland on foot, on kayak, my car, actually, that's just, just probably not going to get the grant. Just to be honest, uh, you know, in some sort of impressive way or not, Iceland. It could be anything. Could be paddling the river next to your house all from source to sea. I don't know. Like, be creative. If you know of somebody doing something like that, something that's worthy to talk about on this show, have them apply for the adventure grant this year. We're giving away a thousand dollars to the first place, five hundred to the second, and two hundred and fifty to the third place, and gear that gear is tbd we've got kind of a lot of brands that like yeah we'll send them some stuff and we're also going to send you some beer from athletic brewing uh to enjoy before during or after your adventure so yeah please apply and go ahead and listen to this episode with johnny uh to be inspired all right let's jump in Hey folks, you heard about a little bit about Johnny's story, what's going on and wh- wh- what we're going to talk about today. And you probably saw the title, you know, it's going to have something to do with traversing Iceland. That, that's what they know. Uh, but we're going to welcome the man who did it, Johnny Morsicato. Welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Mason. It's definitely a cool adventure. I, I actually did it with my, my brother, Ed Bossert, too. So it wasn't just me the the highlands on my own.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear about that. Cause that was a really interesting part of it that I, I want to hear about, like the dynamics of doing this with family. I know your parents were like super stoked and jumped on board to like be around. But one thing I always ask is, uh, where are you coming from today? Where's home for you? And I know it looks bright out the window. Is that just the sun or is that, is there snow on the ground?
1: That's the sun. It's, uh, I'm in Conifer, Colorado. And it's like 50 degrees out, no snow left on the ground around me.
0: Has it been snowing a lot?
1: Uh, yeah, the last couple of weeks, it's been uh, been snowing a bit. And then, like, right before Thanksgiving, we had, like, two weeks of just absolutely frigid cold, like, seven, eight-degree days for weeks, it felt like. So it's nice to be in the warmth now.
0: Man, I yeah, conifer, I used to—oh, gosh, I've driven through conifer so many times on my way to— the San Luis Valley. This is like my favorite area in Colorado when we live there. And uh, you're just going down to the Sangres or over to some of the Collegiate Peaks. Man, what a great area. So ha- are you from there? Is that home or are you just finding yourself there right now?
1: Yeah, yeah. This is home. So uh, my girlfriend and I are trying to buy a house right now. So we, we've moved in with my parents for, you know, the last month trying to save some money and then they're going to try and make it through the housing market and see if we can find anything or just resort back to renting around somewhere. But it's been nice being back home up here because it's so quiet. I've been living in downtown Denver for the last two years.
0: So yeah, I was going to ask, where was where were you before that? So yeah, two different worlds there, downtown Denver and, and Conifer. You know, you're not super far away from Denver, which is probably nice, mm-hmm. but also definitely out in the mountains at that point.
1: Yeah. Definitely feels safer to ride my bike out here too. I mean, biking around Denver is terrifying, man.
0: Being from there and, and knowing some of the things you're into, knowing some of the adventures you've done, did you grow up in a family that, that kind of did all this stuff? I feel like it's almost unavoidable growing up in like a mountain town in Colorado that you would be an adventurer. But you, you tell me what, what were you doing as a child? What did your family have you doing? What were y'all's interests?
1: So, I mean, my family's a little bit adventurous, but I definitely did not grow up going to the mountains or exploring really at all. I was totally immersed in like martial arts as a kid. I started in like the ATA Taekwondo system and taught in that for, you know, I got got up to my third degree black belt in ATA and then I ended up adopting a more traditional martial art. And so I, I was doing martial arts nonstop until I was probably 18. On top of that, I was really into playing cello. And so... I would like go to martial arts class and I would go home and practice cello and then I was going to art school during the day for high school. So not related to adventure at all for almost most of my youth. It's
0: that's, that's wild what we get into as kids and what's important and then what ends up being important later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I grew up in an area that was surrounded by wilderness and I, I get, almost didn't even notice because I had other <laughs> interests like billiards, a random one. I was super into pool and then basketball and it was like, now I go back and, and think, oh my gosh, look at all these things that were around me that I just, I didn't really, really appreciate. Now I do, but I don't know if you feel that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been crazy because like, you know, we've been up here for a month and I've probably ran six trails I've never seen in my entire life. You know, like these, these things that were all around me growing up and I, I never once even walked over to check them out.
0: So that's crazy. Growing up there, there's trails that you discover. Now, I, I agree. I go I go back home and I'm like, just the other day, there's a road I've passed my whole life. And I said, you know what? I've never gone down that road. What's down that road? What's down that dirt road? So I drove and there was just all these things I'd never seen before. <laughs> little ponds and just little fields and valleys and and, and cool little features that I was just like, how have I just never come down here in my 30 plus years driving this road or being around here? How have I just never explored this? And and it, and it does show anyone out there, because I know a lot of sh- people listen to this show, like who wish they were from a place like Conifer or from a place in the mountains, or were in a place like that right now. Mm-hmm. There is something around you. There are things, tr- gems and treats and things around you that you don't even know are there that you would absolutely love. You just got to almost kind of see it differently. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's cool, like coming up here with an adventurous perspective, because it's like, you know, you get on a bike and you can ride Deer Creek Canyon, which is like a pretty popular hill climb. And then I can take my gravel bike down to some trails that are just a couple miles down the road. You know, it's all stuff that I just had never seen, like in my younger side of life. And so now it's like a whole new world up here, you know, and I, I just love it.
0: Talking a little bit about your background and where you grew up sounds like you have some siblings, at least one brother, Ed, Mm -hmm. any other siblings and any others that are kind of into this kind of stuff? Because it sounds, I don't know if Ed was into this, but I know that y'all did this adventure together.
1: Yeah. Ed is the most relatable to me when it comes to like, you know, interest in adventurous type activities. I have seven other siblings or six other siblings, including Ed, not all from the same parents. So it's like, you know, it's all step siblings or adopted siblings. And I only grew up with three of them and the rest of them were a lot older than me when I was younger. So I only really connected with Ed and then my two sisters that I grew up with, but we just do like dinners and, and hang
0: out now. Same situation here, two biological siblings and I think four step siblings. So yeah, right. Definitely under the same world I was in. So Tell us about where this trip came from. What was the idea behind this, this trip across Iceland? How do, you, how do you even think that up? Where was the inspiration and what, were, what was the process of going, you know, can I do this?
1: I guess the, the origin story of the trip was uh, back in 2014, me and a couple buddies just like loaded up some backpacking bags and stuffed it with 30 days worth of food. I think the bags ended up being like 70 pounds a piece. And then we figured we were just going to go get off the plane in Iceland and just start backpacking. And uh, we definitely were not in shape to do any sort of backpacking adventure. And I think we just like had seen stories and kind of thought you could just get used to it and start walking, you know, 20, 30 miles a day. And we definitely did not, we made it like six miles a day. And it took us like 10 days to do a simple little backpacking loop. I remember in the middle of that trip, we were camped out up in the highlands in Iceland. And I remember looking out north, thinking about how cool it would be to just cross all the way to the other side and see the ocean up on the north side of the island. Because it was only like, you know, from where we were camped, like 170 miles. And so I thought it would be cool to come back when I was older. And originally I was going to bike it, but I just never really got that into biking. So I, I got sucked into running instead and decided it would be cool to just go solo adventure and try and run across North to South and include the trek that I did when I was a kid, which was the uh, land manalager hike out of the uh, Southern side of Iceland and up to land Manilager, which is like the Highlands hot Springs area. I was really sucked into kind of recreating this trip. And uh, my brother and I were on this snow kiting adventure in Fairview, Utah. You know, I kept talking about Iceland with them and like, You know, I was thinking about going in August, thinking about running it myself, and he just suddenly was like, hey, you know, like, I kind of would like to maybe join you. I've never done something like that, but maybe we can just, like, put together a training plan and and see if it'll work out. And so, I immediately shifted gears and thought, like, you know, I guess it'd be way cooler to do it as an adventure with him and kind of reconnect because we'd been, you know, separated for Probably five or six years at this point, because he'd moved out to LA to become a stunt man.
0: That's pretty random. Yeah. Well, so I mean,
1: we came from that martial arts background, right? And so oh, as
0: not yeah, not random, but just unique. Definitely
1: unique. Yeah. And so I mean, he he was in a totally different world living in in Hollywood. He had just finished his first feature film in the Highwaymen. I think he, he gotta do a bunch of like stunt driving in an old like Ford, and uh, he gotta act as Clyde in a Bonnie and Clyde movie. And so he was kind of leaving with some money and looking for some adventure and jumped in on board with the Iceland trip. My parents decided like, oh, it might be cool to jump in too and just do our own thing. And so then it suddenly turned into this like whole group family adventure, which I was not expecting at all at the time because I was like, you know, I was ready to go get my backpack and just go for it. In hindsight, it was really cool to have the opportunity and time to have that come together because I think, you know, frequently in life, like there's either like, you know, parents are too busy or your siblings are too busy or your friends are too busy. And it's just hard to all connect to the same level in the same point in time. It just worked out that way that we all got to go together.
0: You know, the older you get, I don't, I don't know if you've heard this stat or have seen it somewhere, but like you spend, I think 80% of all the time you'll ever spend with your parents when you leave the house usually for college or, or graduating high school or wh- whatever it is, whatever time that is. And that might be a little different now, but that's kind of the, the, the point is you spend the vast majority of time with your parents and they, from their perspective with their children, by the time they're gone, you know, now you're just fighting for little scraps of time here and there. And I, I've seen it in my life. And so anytime those stars do align and you're able to do something together it gets increasingly more special and and in turn, you should be more appreciative. So yeah, you're totally right. That is really unique. How how did you feel about them? Everyone jumping on board? Was that worrying you at all? Or did that feel like, no, the more the merrier.
1: I'm kind of like a go with the flow guy. So I feel like at the time I was like, oh yeah, sounds great. But then, you know, as the trip started getting closer, like I, I realized, you know, I did have some anxieties about like, you know, traveling as a family and like going to a rental car place in a foreign country and, you know, just like the small little logistical things that happen along an adventure and dealing with them with my parents who are, you know, they're a little older. My dad was 77 at the time of the trip. So he, he'd been retired and hanging out in Conifer a lot. And, uh, I was a little anxious to see like how everyone was going to do on this like kind of grand adventure at the time.
0: As the plan came together, did did at all, it it changed the original, was the original idea of going north to south, across the entire country, was that pretty much the same throughout? And how did you select the route? Was it a road? Was it trail? Where did you find that information, and what did you end up doing? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
1: The route I, I literally just made on Gaia one day when I was I was like on a road trip with uh Connor. I put together like a little route that I thought would be fun to do that was, you know, it connected north from that spot I was talking about on that trip with my friends in high school. I, I put the the route together and realized like I didn't put into consideration like water, I didn't consider where there actually trails there, what the elevation gain was like. I just thought it would be cool to see what was north of where I was at that time. You know, in, in hindsight of the trip, it would have been cool to go, you know, do some of the more picturesque routes up there, but it was just like, for me completing this loop of when I was younger and not as involved in this kind of adventurous lifestyle and just seeing that through like all the way across the Island. So when I made the route, I literally just, went from where I was in 2014, which was in Land Manilogger, and then connected it all the way up to uh, Akureyri, which is the northernmost town along the Rim Road, right in this little uh, fjord, if you
0: look at the Iceland map. Tell us about getting there and tell us about, you know, what what were some of the unique things that you had to bring with you? What, what, what was some of the gear that was crucial for this?
1: <laughs> the gear selection was kind of interesting. We... You know, we were trying to do it in six days at the time. With that, we wanted to be able to kind of run. And so my goal was to keep the packs below 25 pounds. So that way we could at least jog or, you know, kind of do like a fast walk for most of the trip. When we started loading up the packs, it was like it came down to a decision between we either bring a tent or we bring a sleeping bag. And so we left our sleeping bags. so we had shelter And just resorted to using only down jackets and like, you know, thick pants for sleeping at night with a pillow and carrying enough food for the five days, which you know, the the food we had to pick super calorie dense food for essentially any meal we had. So like anytime we made coffee, it was bulletproof coffee with, you know, ghee and powdered coconut milk in it. And the breakfasts were always the same kind of thing, like you know, heated up powdered coconut milk with ghee, granola, cashews, like lots of nuts, lots of protein stuff, and lots of carbs to replace the the energy we were burning every day. And so we, we we're uh, when it came down to picking the gear, I was I was a little nervous because we, you know, we we weren't necessarily able to survive a super cold cold uh, winter storm. We were really close to some of the F roads, so I figured that if we ended up in a bad spot, we could resort to getting out to the F roads and, you know, hitchhike back out of the highlands if we needed to.
0: What were you seeing out there? Describe just the scenery, the, the conditions of the paths you were using. Uh, t- tell us about that.
1: The scenery is really interesting because you start in Akureiri. So on, on, the, on the first day we started, I, I picked like an N1 gas station as our start point point. And I really wanted to to leave from the first point of ocean in Akureyri and end back in that location we were in in 2014. And so the starting point is literally like in the middle of a city, like you know, walking from the middle of Denver or something. <laughs> you know, there's lots of cars going by, lots of stuff happening. You start hiking south, and as you go, it's like the hotels and the coffee shops kind of turn into you know, farm equipment turn into hay bales, you know, and the fences get smaller and smaller and the cars turn into tractors and the people turn into sheep. You know, you, as you get more and more south, it's like, it's like this taking away, like as you leave the city, suddenly everything gets stripped away from the landscape. And, and that happens more and more drastically as you elevate into the highlands. Because when you're right at the ocean level, you have all that like green grass and lots of livestock that are around. But then as soon as you break up into the highlands of Iceland, it's like, you know, somebody has just scoured the surface and life is gone. Like it's just, you know, black pebbles, volcanic rock, jagged little peaks and like glaciers on the horizon. And the transition from that on the first day was extremely aggressive but then, for the remainder of the trip, you're just in that volcanic landscape, you know. So the the scenery change isn't that insane after the first day, but for the remainder, it was a uh, it was more of like an internal experience as you went because the landscape was sometimes uninspiring to the point where you know it would force you to look more inside of yourself for the adventure of the day than you know looking outside of at like a big desert of lava rock
0: you know we had tom last year or year before gosh when was this yeah last year tom johnstone from the uk on who biked across iceland and he was talking about how much obsidian there was on the ground that was like tire shredding mm-hmm. like you had to be really careful did you have to deal with that as well
1: oh yeah yeah when you uh, when you get to some of those river crossings it's like you know you don't You don't want to risk slicing your foot open on that obsidian i mean it's it's ubiquitous it's everywhere you know like and it it comes in like these big swaths that kind of invade into that that kind of dusty pebbly landscape that most of the highlands are when we were crossing the rivers we would have to be pretty cautious on picking our route because it would just you know it'd be a, a trip ender if one of us were to slice our foot you know to shreds on a piece of obsidian
0: so, yeah, did you, did you end up seeing other people? Was it busy or was it pretty isolated?
1: Uh, totally isolated. Oh. Wow. On some parts of the route, we were pretty close to the F roads. And so when we were in that, like in those areas, you'd see like, you know, these cars coming by and like it'd be tourists bundled up in these puffy jackets with fresh, fresh lattes coming from town. And, you know, at the time, like, my brother and I had already been in the Highlands or something for, like, two days. And so, you know, we're, like, you just start to feel like an alien. You watch these people go by you, and it's, like, you already feel, like, a fixture in the landscape, and they're just there for, like, this temporary little, like, drive in, drink the latte, go to the hot springs, and leave. And I I think, you know, for the first couple days, it was fun to see that, but then, like, on the third and fourth day, maybe we'd get a little bit of, uh, (laughs) like, a little jealousy. Like, maybe we should just get in the car and leave and go back to akureyri or Reykjavik and just, you know, have some beers.
0: There is nothing that sounds better when you're out there in the elements. And it's been, like I used to do bike touring and you'd be out there on the road. So you'd obviously interact with vehicles and you'd be at some pull-off on some desolate highway, exhausted, you know, wondering where your next meal is going to be or food, or you're worrying about water or just something. You're worried about something that's, that's a little more basic, which is why you're out there. But then you see a big, you know, RV drive by and the kids are watching Disney Channel in the in, in the RV and they've got snacks and it's just like you're so jealous for about, right? <laughs> for about 5 minutes and they're like grilling something inside and it's just like, "Oh my god, I would do anything for that right now."
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: It's it's fleeting though cuz you realize you're the one having I mean they're having a great experience too but you're having a really moving, impactful adventure. You know, it's all, it's all part of, it's why you're doing adventure. Yeah. But yeah, I totally get it. And in Iceland too is Iceland's like, I mean, I'm sure you saw this around some of the, the, the more populated areas that are very Instagram worthy. A lot of folks going there with their lattes, with their pretty done up, you know, for some photos. And it seems like that's a place to go that people people who really like posting go. And so I'm sure you did see a lot of that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like our stopping point each day were like the Instagram spots where you'd like see the cool glaciers or like the cool hot springs or, you know, you know, something like that. And then the moving points between the day, because we were on the northern side of the island, were just filled with a lot of long, flat, just kind of endless black expanses of lava, you know. And so it was like you'd get a little little treat at the end of the day, and then you'd see like the done up people coming to take the, the Instagram shots. And then the rest of the day it was like it was us, you know. Did you have
0: a lot of people asking you what you were doing?
1: Mostly it was the the Rangers. So the Rangers were getting a little concerned because they'd been driving back and forth and you know, they'd catch glimpses of us on and off throughout the first like three days we were hiking. Apparently when we when we checked the weather on the way in. It had said that it was, you know, all clear for the whole portion of the week. And the rangers were saying that there was an impending Arctic storm that was coming. And so they were getting a little anxious because we were, we were still out there alone, you know, and we're camping and, you know, going what they thought was too far every day. We ended up becoming kind of friends with this one ranger who would just come and like check on us, you know, at least every day after day two, and just come and be like, hey, are you guys like still happy? Are you still okay? Are you still warm? <laughs> and then we'd be like, oh yeah, we're good, man. And he'd just drive off and like, okay, well, I'll see you again, hopefully.
0: <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> 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 so they, you said they, they thought you were going too far every day, like pushing your bodies?
1: Yeah. They, like, when they would ask us like, oh, where are you headed? And we'd say, you know, this place that was 45 miles away. They were kind of like, uh, that's, that might be too far for you today on foot. It just comes from the ranger side. I think, you know, if, if I were in their shoes and seeing these people doing that, I'd be like, that seems too far. And especially cause they don't know us, they don't know the training we put in, Yeah, you know, they don't know any of that kind of stuff. They're just being themselves being worried about people, which, you know, is totally understandable on their side.
0: Totally. Yeah. That's their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you told me you had to go 45 miles was, as like a hiker backpacker, I'm like, yeah, that's too far. Yeah. But not knowing the way you're doing it, it's doable. It's still still ambitious, uh, nonetheless. So that's really interesting. So tell us about that storm. Did that storm end up rolling in or, or did you make it out in time?
1: So the storm hit us on uh, on day three.
0: Okay, so right in the middle.
1: <laughs> yep. We started to regret our choice of not bringing sleeping bags because we had planned for this, you know, kind of steady 40, 50 degree mark of weather. And the the weather started plummeting into the 30s. Our first night before the storm came, we were at this, I think you call it Nigela hut or something like that. It's at the base of this glacier, kind of close to the Vatnajökull volcano. We'd set up camp and we were, you know, sitting having a Viking beer that I'd bought from the ranger station. It started raining on the tent. And I remember just thinking like, I really hope that the rain either turns to snow or that it stops raining by the morning because I really don't want to get wet. By the morning, the whole peak next to us was covered in snow and it was still raining where we were at. So we were just getting this, you know, kind of persistent layer of freezing rain coming down on us for all of day three. I mean, at the time we were really bummed, but I've always had this, you know, kind of fail safe for adventures where I keep my camp clothes totally separate from the daytime clothes. And so I had like all of the warm stuff at the end of the day packed up. And ready for when we got our tent set up and so we just powered through the rain and got totally soaked throughout the day then got back to camp you know and changed it back into our warm camp clothes and bundled up and by the next morning the rain and snow had passed and it just kind of turned to like a light wind
0: uh, that just sounds terrible not gonna lie just being cold and wet that's maybe two of the worst parts of adventure for me, but again, I'm from, I'm from a very warm area, so I'm not used to it. So, (laughs) you know, you growing up in it, maybe you were just a little bit more mentally ready for, for feeling that way. And and you're probably a lot tougher than me too. So let's, (laughs) let's just be honest. That is really smart though, keeping those separate. And that's a great tip for anybody out there. Make sure you do have those small things to look forward to, not only for morale, but for actually being warm and safe. Those things can really help get you through a really tough day. So you get through this storm and, and also your parents are there somewhere. What are your parents doing this whole time? Are they just hanging out, doing, you know, so, going and seeing some sights, checking on you at all? What was their role in all this? They dropped us off at the N1 gas station
1: on the north side of the island. And then they went out to the West Fjords and stayed on like this Arctic horse farm. And so they're, you know, they're having Arctic char every night and drinking beer. And then, you know, I send my one text from the inReach at morning and one text at night. And then I get a text back from them that's like, oh, having a great time, like meeting all these Europeans and hanging out and, you know, went to go see a bunch of local churches and saw the Puffins. And then Ed and I are just like, you know, shivering in a tent, drinking our, (laughs) you know, our one beer that we've been looking forward to all day. At the, you know, at the same time, like <laughs> kind of jealous. Yeah,
0: I, totally, I bet you were. <laughs> yeah. Was there ever a point you thought they might have to come get you or help out in any way?
1: On the the second to last day, I have like some lingering knee problems from martial arts. Just like too many years of, you know, the board, breaking boards and all the jump kicks and stuff from Taekwondo. And I, I have like, I think some sort of little scar tissue build up in there. It just started to really activate on day four and my knee was starting to swell up. And I think I was taking like two ibuprofen in the morning and then two ibuprofen for bed to just kind of keep the swelling down. I was honestly starting to feel pretty low in my morale, starting to feel like maybe we should just call our parents to come grab us and like, you know, go have fun instead. And my brother actually was the one who kind of pulled me through it, which was cool because when I was younger, he was like such an idol to me. And we hadn't done much together. And so it was like cool to see that he found strength and, you know, he was, you know, his legs were hurting too, but he was like, no, like we're out here to do this. Like we should just keep going. And it was funny for me at the time because I'd made so much of my identity off of like my ability to suffer and these adventures, like doing the Colorado 14ers and just doing more and more peaks and climbing and running. And Ed had been in the city for all the time I've been doing that. And so I think like the time where I was like the most amazing for me was to see that I was breaking and he was the one that was there to help pull me out. And that was kind of like the camaraderie that I was hoping to find out of the trip with him too. And so I think that was like probably better that he was with me instead of me just being solo and bailing.
0: Yeah, that is one downside. Well, an upside and a downside to having family. You were able to lean on your brother in those hard times, but Might make it a little bit easier, too, if your parents are like, yeah, we'll come get you. You know what I mean? You wouldn't have that option if they weren't there. Did you learn anything new about your brother? Or did he learn anything new about you?
1: I I couldn't say what he would have learned about me, just because, I mean, I I don't know what he would say, but definitely learned more about him throughout the whole journey. Like, from the time that we were in Fairview, Utah, like, talking about doing to Iceland together to the whole adventure and meeting back up with my parents, like at the end of our trip, it was really cool to see him like take on a pretty hardcore training plan. And like his whole life changed and his whole perspective on life changed in that time. And it was like, he he'd been living in LA and like, you know, he was really into gymnastics and the stunt community. And suddenly you know, he took on this training plan that I kind of roughly put together with a friend for him. And then within two months, he was like running ultra marathons twice a month. And like, you know, he he was doing all this crazy stuff that I'd never seen him get into. And he was just getting more and more ecstatic about it. And I, I just loved seeing him like apply the same tenacity that he'd used throughout years in the stunt world to something that was more relatable to me in the adventure world. And so, I I mean, I think for me, what I learned about him is that like, you know, obviously I wouldn't recommend that anybody goes to do like the crossing where we went because it was just kind of arduous and long, but it was cool to see that he could find so much power in himself after, uh, you know, years of just being in the city in in like such a wild place.
0: You mentioned one idea that I thought was really interesting in, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but you were. You are talking about some of the challenges uh, of having takeaway and communication with longstanding relationships like family, and it, and it takes just being intentional. What did you mean by that? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode
1: you know, when you grow up, like you said, you spend like 80% of your time with family when you're a kid pretty much. Right. And then suddenly like, you know, I'm 25 and I hadn't been hanging out with them for, you know, eight years. You know, then we're trying to rent a car together and we're trying to pick out dinner and we're trying to check into a hotel and like do the stuff that we hadn't done together ever in an adult setting And so I think what I found interesting is that, like, it's like I would resort back to my mind as a kid and be, like, whiny about something or, like, suddenly start complaining and catch myself and realize that it's like, you know, when we would talk as adults, it's like you have all this historical context of your youth built up to that moment in time. So, like, we're having a conversation about, you know, the rental car being late But then also you like have all that pressure of like arguments you had in high school and like, you know, times where you felt short, also pushing on that same emotion of interacting and trying to rent a car together. And so it's it's hard to like, you know, separate those things, I think, in time, in the time you're in. And so I think you have to be pretty intentional to be like, hey, I'm in the moment now. We're going to handle this together. And, you know, I'm not going to be a whiny 18 year old about it because we're all adults here now.
0: Wow, that's actually really interesting because yeah, 18 for you, not, I mean, it's a while ago, but not crazy long ago, but you're a totally different person and have learned so much. But, you know, I think that might be a big reason why people don't like running into people from their past, people from high school or people from their hometown, because you're almost immediately thrown back into being that person you were. Mm -hmm. Because despite the growth and despite maybe a lot of the new experiences you've had at the, at your core, you're still very similar to that 18 year old or very similar to that 15 year old, whatever it is. And I, I know when I get around my brothers or my mom and dad, they almost kind of treat me like I'm still that person a long time ago. And in a lot of me, is, still is that person, but sometimes that's not the best feeling for people. And other times, that is what you want to do. You, you like going back to those times. But for a lot of us, I know that might be a big reason why we avoid a lot of those people from a long time ago.
1: Oh, for sure. And I, I think in hindsight of the trip, that was, that was probably my biggest concern is like suddenly I'm in a family situation that is the same as vacationing when I was 12 years old. And, you know, I, I'm like trying to be in the right mental space to do like kind of a hardcore adventure but then also don't want to be like taking on, you know, 12 year old self to go run across Iceland. And so it's just, I, I thought it was strange to, you know, journal about it after the trip because it was just uh you had to be so mindful of your communication and it was like so easy to tip back into those constructs you'd made as a kid in any moment out there,
0: you know? What else do you think you learned out there? And also, I, I forget to ask this, but I know this is a really interesting one for people. You know, you're young, you're trying to buy a house, there's a lot you're trying to do. Financially, how do you get ready for these kinds of adventures? Because there's expense to it and people want to know just the practicality of making these happen. How do you fit it into your life? Do you work? What, what is that situation to, to go out and do what, what took this many days, you know, almost a week out there, plus travel time and all that?
1: Well, I, I, I've, uh, I've worked a lot of odd jobs. I I got sucked into working um, events with Red Bull over the last, like, three years because, you know, you can go out and work, you know, a, a two-week event and make a really good day rate, and then you have two weeks off. And so I just I got sucked into it because I loved the freedom of going to do those kind of things what what's made it more difficult since iceland is that connor and i started the coyote collective and you know now it's like we're we're trying to run a startup business which doesn't necessarily pay lucratively all the time and so it's a lot more of a struggle to squeeze in time to make money for the adventures that cost a lot in all honesty and a lot of emotional investment a lot of time investment a lot of financial investment. And so um, I think in the time when I was doing Iceland in 2019, it wasn't too hard because you know I, I worked a, a four-week Red Bull event right before the trip, and it wasn't hard to pay for it from the event. But now it's like if I go out and do one of these big adventures, I don't have that same buffer anymore because you know we're trying to pull together Coyote to make us enough money and survive and make a living every day. Tell me what y'all do at at Coyote. We do boutique marketing content for outdoor agencies. So uh, like most recently, we put together an editorial piece for Envy Composites, which which is a uh, carbon wheel company out of Ogden, Utah. We went up to Montana and did like a whole storytelling editorial and photo series for their new soft goods launch. And so we do a lot of uh, little projects like that, but there's... The barrier into getting into a market to make a lot of money in that, or not a lot, just enough money to live, is, uh, is pretty heavy on the time investment side.
0: What advice do you have for folks that, uh, that go out and, and want to do something like this? And maybe a brother or sister or a cousin, or maybe some parents be like, you know, I want to do it too. Um, I want to I go make this happen. Any, any advice? Because I know all, all sorts of relationships are at varying levels of, I don't know, agreeability. I don't even know the word. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, honestly, I would just say be patient. You know, like take a breath and just make it happen because it'll be worth it in the long run. And, uh, you know, give each other some grace to be the people they are now and and not hold 12-year-old self over all of them, you know?
0: Well, what's (laughs) next for you?
1: Working on Coyote stuff. I've been, I guess, for my own personal projects for adventures, I've been trying to do something called gridding a local 14er. So I've been running it every month of the calendar year, which has been a fun little motivational thing because it's close by and, you know, it's low time and finance investment, but otherwise just working on Coyote.
0: Well, thank you so much for uh, jumping on, sharing some stories. And and by the way, folks, this is Johnny's first podcast interview. So, so happy to be uh, a part of that. You know there's probably a lot smoother run shows out there and maybe some better questions but you you did a great job your voice is great you tell great stories and uh yeah thanks for being on the adventure sports podcast to to launch your podcasting career
1: yeah thanks for having me mason It's definitely a (laughs) I, i think i get a little bit more anxiety speaking in these kind of situations than running or something so it's fun to try and jump on and do something new you know
0: appreciate you making an adventure about out of something that you did before and building on it and going back to places. That's, that's really cool. So thanks for sharing.
1: Yeah, of course. Appreciate you having me.
0: First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to the show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash Podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.